Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on, that regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like? They find themselves bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, I want taxes low and for parents to have options for their children's education, regardless of the quality of their local school district. And so this year is very exciting to me. Uh, some states are going further in this direction than ever before, and that's why, uh, and that's what's going on in Iowa right now. And to dig in on what they're doing and why, I'm talking with John Hendrickson, the policy director for the Iowans for Tax Relief Foundation, which has been prodding Iowa in this direction. Uh, uh, John, welcome. Thank you, James. It's good to be with you. Mm -hmm. uh, what are policy in, uh, policymakers in Iowa doing about school choice? Well, this has been a, uh, <clears throat> a historic year for school choice in Iowa. And of course, uh, just early into our legislative session, which started in January, uh, Iowa, the legislature passed a landmark uh, universal education savings account measure that will basically provide uh, the state funding per pupil uh, towards an ESA for for um for Iowa students. And this has been a priority of, of Governor Kim Reynolds and several legislators, not, not just this year, but for the past several years. And if I could just share a quick backstory to that, because uh, the battle for ESAs and school choice has been ongoing for the last several years. In fact, the last few years, Iowa has made uh, some good progress on school choice. For example, uh, before the uh, the Students First Act was passed, this that was the governor's ESA bill this year, the legislature did uh, remove barriers to open enrollment, which expanded more choice in Iowa. They also expanded uh, charter schools. Iowa had been fairly restrictive in terms of charter schools, but now some of those restrictions have been lifted. Iowa also had what was called voluntary diversity districts, which prevented students from leaving uh, through open enrollment, and those were the legislature uh, has now banned those. And so, uh, even though prior sessions ESA bills weren't able to get passed, Iowa did make some substantial progress on some school choice measures. But this session, though, was 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 very important because you have this important ESA bill that came out that provides uh, roughly seven thousand six hundred dollars per student will qualify and it will be phased in over three years. Uh, and so after that three year period, uh, basically all students will be eligible for that. And, and the other thing that's driving this was the COVID-19 pandemic, because uh, one thing, when, when COVID first hit, uh, Governor Reynolds basically heard from Iowa parents that they wanted their kids in school. I mean, they, a lot of the kids were struggling with remote learning, and we've seen some of the consequences of that, especially as we moved out of the pandemic. And so uh, the governor, basically, Iowa was one of the first states to make sure that schools were, were back open, that students, if they wanted to be in the classroom, could be in the classroom. And, and so basically what we've seen in Iowa is a grassroots movement take place uh, of parents who are getting more concerned about the quality of their child's education, and they want to have more choice 
And, and there's also other factors going on. And so, as you probably know, and you've probably seen it in Michigan, but there, there is sort of a cultural war going on within education, especially over some controversial and radical curriculums, as well as uh, the, the transgender uh, uh, ideologies that are moving. And that has brought a lot of concern to Iowa parents who are looking for uh, maybe there's another option uh, to go to a private school. And, and so the governor has said with that ESA bill that, the, you know, we're not funding bureaucracies here. We're not funding just school, school systems. The money should follow the child and a child should not be punished because of their socioeconomic status or their zip code. And, and so all these factors sort of gave way. And, and, you know, from a political standpoint, this was very interesting because last year the governor had an ESA bill that was much more milder than the one that was passed. And, and it passed the Senate, but it stalled in the House because several uh, rural Republicans opposed it, thinking that they bought into the argument that school choice would hurt rural schools. Well, the governor basically did something that was even is still considered controversial by some. She got involved in several House primaries on the Republican side, and and several um, key Republican uh, legislators lost those primaries, and, and it was because of the school choice issue, inc including the chair of the of the House Education Committee. And so Governor Reynolds really used a lot of political capital and said that she had enough and backed, uh, backed primary opponents that were supportive of, of giving parents more choice and, and having more freedom in education. I mean, that's a pretty bold move just because, um, you know, that's uh, going to the people who have been in your party, who probably have been on your side for a lot of issues and saying, you're not, uh, uh, you're not good enough. I want someone else who's, who's going to go with me further than you've been willing to go and against, you know, people in your own party. That's right. And, and, and it was, I mean, it, 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 it was controversial. Uh, the governor was right. In fact, uh, she was reelected. A lot of attention went to Governor Ron DeSantis and how big of a margin he was reelected. But Governor Reynolds was was reelected by close to 20 points. I mean, she won in a landslide and and, uh, you know, she carried this message and Iowans agreed with it by, by and far. And it, and it surpassed the rural urban divide in our state. So I want to dig in more about uh, some of the changes in environments. But uh, first, can you tell me what uh, uh, what Iowa is doing about taxes? Yeah, this has been another great success story. In fact, Iowa uh, last year uh, had was the leader in what was called this is being called the state flat tax revolution. It's not over yet. There's other states even this year considering either lowering their flat tax or moving to a flat tax and. Iowa had a nine-bracket progressive income tax, and we had some of the highest taxes in, in the nation. Our top rate was close to 9%. Our corporate rate at one time was 12%, which I believe was the highest in the nation. And since 2018, uh, Governor Reynolds has made tax reform a priority, and that was when the first tax bill was passed. But last year was the most extensive one because what it did is it phases out that nine bracket uh, tax system, that progressive tax. And by 2026, I will have a 3.9% flat tax. 
and our corporate tax is also being phased down. In fact, uh, right now we've gone from nine and nine point eight percent down to eight point four percent, and then uh, that will be lowered further till five point five percent. And the governor has recently stated uh, that her goal is by the time she leaves office, she wants to eliminate the income tax. And and there's actually a bill in our Senate right now that I'd re- really like that would actually continue lowering uh, from 3.9 to 2.5%. And then we have what in Iowa what's called the Taxpayer Relief Fund, which currently has close to a $3 billion balance. The Senate bill would use that uh, which it's intended for the taxpayer relief fund to then uh, phase out the income tax to eliminate it. So Iowa has made substantial progress uh, in in terms of cutting tax rates. And and you know the other thing, James, that's important. And and you and I have both talked a lot about it's it's good policy to, to reduce taxes, but it's even better policy to keep a close eye on spending. And this has been a key factor for uh, Governor Reynolds is, is prudent budgeting. And so the reason why Iowa has been able to make these large achievements in pro-growth tax reform is because she has kept spending very limited. And, and in fact, Cato gave her the top grade in the nation in their fiscal report card. She got an A grade. Uh, she uh was able to uh, keep spending at an annual growth of less than two and a half percent. And so that's that's one of the key things about, about tax reform is you have to keep spending low and prudent budgeting is, is something the governor has placed a priority on. So these reforms, the uh, uh, giving every, uh, every parent uh, money to educate their kids directly, moving to a flat income tax rate and uh, possibly even getting rid of the income tax in general, like these are bigger than you make it sound. I mean, two years ago, no state in the country gave parents money to educate their children how they wish. Uh, Powerful interests, both cultural and economic, quashed any efforts that threatened the flow of money into public schools. Until two years ago, no state had ever gone from graduated income taxes to flat taxes, and now there's a handful of them that have. I mean, these are huge changes that people and policymakers have talked about in the past, but never got. I mean, they were dancing around the edges of the Overton window before, but now they are finally politically acceptable. I mean, did the world change and nobody noticed or what's going on? That's a great question. In fact, uh, one term, and I, I don't, I can't remember where I heard it from, but it, uh, the, it was called red state federalism. And, and one thing about what's, I think, what's happening in Iowa and some other red states is you have uh, a really fierce competition among governors, whether it's Governor Reynolds or Governor DeSantis, that are doing some really good conservative free market policies. And, and, and so our governor, for example, a few weeks ago was at the Cato Institute and, and she was also at AEI talking about both uh, her fiscal record and the ESA bill. And she acknowledges that there is fierce competition among red state governors. And for, for, for example, we see in Arkansas, the newly elected governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, pushing through a, a, another uh, similar ESA type bill. But in Iowa, I think one thing when we look at the political landscape is there has been a change. 
Iowa uh, has been kind of a, and if you look at the history of Iowa, Iowa was largely what we would call a purple state. I mean, we were kind of half Republican, half Democrat. And right now, most analysts would say Iowa is strongly a red conservative state. And one reason for that is is Governor Reynolds. And, and certainly, I would say, even if you look at previous Republican governors in Iowa, they tended to be kind of more moderate Chamber of Commerce type Republicans. And but oh, sorry, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, we have a pretty good Chamber of Commerce here in Michigan. What, well, it, what does it mean it, in, it, uh, it, in Iowa? It means, uh, to me, that I would define that as sort of, uh, you know, being very timid on, on, on tax and spending issues and maybe just keeping the status quo, not pushing the line on, on some of these conservative reforms. And, and you know, I, I think Governor Reynolds has really – has really become a strong conservative leader and that has resonated in Iowa and she is very popular and that has created a, you know, if you want to talk about the Overton window, that has created a grassroots support for these policies. As I said, she, you know, basically by 20 point landslide won re-election. And the other driving factor that I think to that was COVID. Uh, COVID uh, changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And not, you know, one thing that go- the governor was uh, attacked unfairly, I would say, because, you know, for example, they called her COVID Kim because she kept Iowa's economy open and and she handled it very responsibly. She handled the pandemic with prudence and 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 uh, but she understood that Iowa's economy had to be open. She understood that uh, kids needed to be in the classroom. And and I think that she realized that if I was going to grow because I was still facing some problems. For example, we, we, one of our greatest economic problems is we need more people. Uh, we need to fill jobs. And, and so the governor understood that the best way to, to make Iowa was more competitive was to basically uh, uh, have a more competitive tax code. And she understood that you know, these other states were cutting taxes and Iowa cannot be complacent. I mean, we can't just... Uh, gradually maybe uh, shave a point off here or there from from a tax rate and call that good and revisit it 10, 20 years later. And and so she understands that, you know, fiscal federalism is a serious thing. The other thing is, is from from the education standpoint and from the social standpoint, uh, COVID unleashed a lot of, of radical issues. And so you know, the governor took a stand for uh, what we had called traditional conservative values in Iowa, and Iowans responded to that. They, they, they supported her defense of what we consider family values. And so I think that has turned Iowa more, more red, more conservative, and the Democrats have become more radical. I mean, they have become more radical in terms of embracing a lot of radical cultural issues and a lot of uh, liberal Policies and, and you know one thing the governor said in her condition of state address, you know we we've seen so many critics from the left basically saying, oh Iowa's going to be the next Kansas because you cut taxes and it's going to blow up the state budget. We've been running surpluses, our revenues are healthy, our state is growing. None none of those doomsday scenarios have come to pass, and and voters aren't buying that. 
So I can make a good case that the pandemic exposed problems uh, with the reliance of school districts. I mean, you, you've you've stated the case for that. Uh, I mean, school districts fairly uh, clearly failed to deliver uh, good options to parents when they needed them. But on tax policy, I mean, the line is less clear. I mean, a new virus spread across the world, and therefore Iowa needs to drop its graduated income tax. That seems like a stretch. So walk me through the mechanics. Yeah, that's. Uh, <clears throat> I think what happened was, as I said, this this happened even before the p- pandemic. So by by 2018, this is when Iowa started our. I would say that our journey through cutting the income tax rate, and one of the reason was is that. Uh, and it wasn't just Governor Reynolds, but it was also the uh, the Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitford, who is a very strong conservative in our state. Uh, basically, they understood that for decades Iowa had had a tax code that had high rates, and those high rates were disguised because the legislature, in order to solve a problem, would create some form of tax credit or a tax exemption to solve it. And so that that disguised high tax rates. And one thing that also uh, triggered this in 2018 was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, Those federal changes also uh, uh, made it where Iowa had to start looking seriously at cutting rates. And at that time, we also saw there was more uh, political support for serious income tax reduction. This had been a big issue for for the business community in Iowa is also uh, for individuals as well who wanted tax relief. So uh, by, by 2022 uh, last year, I mean, that, that created a groundswell because, you know, Iowa came out of the pandemic and our economy was stronger than expected. We still were in, uh, running a budget surplus. And basically the governor said, you know, we're going to do something on taxes. We're actually going to make our tax code more competitive and, and there was basically one thing that was really interesting, just like with this ESA bill, the flat tax was passed early in the session and there was very little opposition to it. In fact, uh, that year the governor gave the response to President Biden's State of the Union address and she was able to unveil Iowa's tax achievement to the nation Uh early on. And, and normally that doesn't happen that uh, because normally tax bills come at the end of the session. And for the first time, really, what happened was the taxpayer was placed first before the spending interests. And, and that was something that, that, you know, Iowans really appreciated. Okay. So I, th- I think I can see some of what's going on here. I mean, she clearly thought that, or, uh, Lawmakers in Iowa clearly thought lowering taxes was an important priority, and that was the case even before the pandemic. Pandemic happens, and uh, you restrain spending. Revenues are growing are going up, and that deals with the biggest objection that states face when they're trying to cut taxes, which is, where's the money going to come from? And the answer is, we've got plenty of money. We can cut taxes without having to cut other areas of the budget. This is well with like that biggest objection to tax cuts is, is going away. But I think it's... Um, I mean, normally you'd probably see just reducing the tax burdens a little bit, like you keep that graduated income tax, lower it, certainly don't don't get rid of it. But I think it's that fierce competition point that you brought around, which is a little bit different than what things used to be. 
because if you're trying to say, no, I'm, I'm the one who's implementing these ideas better than anyone else in the country, it's not just marginal improvements. You've got to try and do something a little bit bolder than the next guy. And that's the major question then, right? It's like, why is there a fiercer competition now than there used to be? And do you care to speculate on that? Yeah, no, I, I think, and that goes back to this, uh, what, you know, what I, I don't want to take credit for the term. I heard it somewhere, but this red state uh, federalism, because, for example, uh, uh, you know, Governor Reynolds was, understood what Governor Reeves was doing in Mississippi with their flat tax. And, and she was looking at some of the uh, what other governors were doing as well. And, and these governors are, they're talking to one another they're, uh And so I think that's, placing pressure on. And, and also the other thing is, is that there is more evidence of that states are in competition with one another for jobs and people. And, and so I think that the other, the other thing is, is that Iowa can look to our neighbors. We can look to our friends in Minnesota and Illinois and look at what's happening to these progressive blue states and that have high tax rates. And, you know, people are, leaving there's a mass exodus going on in these blue states people are leaving both minnesota and and illinois uh as well as other blue states across the country and and you know the other thing is is that we were also uh looking at our neighbors in nebraska and missouri who were looking at cutting rates and so even even our neighbors in wisconsin even tony the governor tony evers might be forced to the compromise table to, to agree to a t income tax cut this year. And so I think, I think there is this competition, this fiscal federalism that's working, that's forcing uh, state policymakers to think more about what it means to have a pro-growth tax code. And plus, there's also been a lot of attention paid on, you know, sort of the, the, the no income tax states of, of, of Texas and, and Florida, but even our neighbors in South Dakota. I mean, South Dakota has has grown their population more than more than we have, and that's a no income tax state. And and so I think uh, the other thing too, James, I want to bring up is is one point that really is the key to this. I think, from my perspective, is is leadership. And I know that sounds kind of broad, but but. We, we have seen tremendous leadership from Governor Reynolds on this issue where, I mean, she ha has been very committed and, and really believes in pro-growth tax reform. And, and same with uh, the Senate Majority Leader, Jack Whitver. I mean, every time I hear Senator Whitver uh, talk, he's always talking about, we're not going to waste our majority. We're going to do bold things. We're going to do things what people sent us here to do. And the governor has said the same thing. And so they're, they weren't going to just tinker around the edges and maybe mess with the brackets. They wanted to make transformational changes uh, in order to make Iowa a better place. And, and, and so they've delivered on what they said they were going to do. And I think, you know, that has really led to the uh, why the governor and the legislature are so popular. That's kind of interesting, too, because as uh, red states are competing over one particular model of, uh, of uh, light, lighter burdens of government, um, I think there's a blue state model, too, that's saying, look, look, we can have high taxes as long as we have quality uh, government services. And we're really going to find out in, in the future which of these things is more attractive because, um, I mean, 
this is only going to pay off for Iowa is if the theory that this is what people really want actually plays out in practice. Is if they are able to attract more people to the state, if, uh, if, if you are going to get better educational outcomes. And, I, uh, and there's a lot of controversy about that. Um, but uh, with states trying these bolder, uh, bolder reforms, going places where no other states have gone before, uh, I think it's going to provide a lot of information in the future about how people respond to this one. So how, or uh, respond to these reforms. So how optimistic are you about Iowa's future? I'm very optimistic, and I'm I'm, and that's saying something for me because I'm I'm a pessimist at heart, and so normally I don't get invited on too many Sunday picnics as a result. But uh, uh, but I am optimistic about what I was doing because uh, we are seeing that I think this formula of lower tax rates, a reigning in government spending, creating more opportunities, more choice for families. Is a, is a system that's going to pay off in the long run by creating more freedom and opportunity rather than what's going on in some of the blue state models. Because what we're seeing in the blue state models is, is, is a disaster. I mean, for example, we don't want the California model. I mean, high crime, uh, a broken fiscal system, uh, I mean, a, a complete disaster. The same with Illinois, New York, all these states. I, I think that that blue state progressive model it has been a ha, has really failed, and and so I think Iowa is moving in the right direction where uh, you give a chance for businesses and people to flourish through economic freedom and and standing up to uh, you know for traditional values and 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 you know I think that's that's a big part, important part of the story as well is that there is a cultural war going on. And, and uh, you know, the governor has basically uh, drew a line in the sand and said, I'm going to stand up for parents. You know, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to let the bureaucracy or the or the, uh, the teachers union uh, push this radical agenda that's dangerous, that's threatening uh, children. And and so I think this is why you see the popularity of governors like Kim Reynolds and Ron DeSantis, because they're standing up to this insanity that's going on, both from an economic and a moral perspective. Oh, you've talked a lot about what your lawmakers have been doing, but what have you been doing uh, to try and encourage these reforms? Well, that's a great question. And, and you know, one thing, we, we've done a lot of stuff as an organization, uh, especially on the tax side. I mean, that's our big issue uh, is is income tax. So we've, we've done a lot of work. In fact, uh, We've been really fortunate to be able to have a seat at the table uh, in, in some of these conversations of, of, of tax reform, including now. I mean, one of the big issues we're working on right now is, is we think there's an Overton window for property tax reform. That's a huge issue in Iowa. I mean, that's uh, and same thing with ESAs. Uh, we weren't uh, as involved on ESAs as we were with the flat tax, but we promoted uh, the ESA and because uh it's a freedom issue. And so as an organization, we've been able to reach out to Iowans and, and sort of help and help them to understand these issues and, and kind of share some of the broader points of, of why, you know, conservative policies matter. Why, why does it, you know, why are these ideas going to make us a, a better state and why is it going to help, you know, 
you as an as an Iowan, how are these ideas going to help you and your family or your business? And and so we've been able to travel the state and and talk to Iowans about that. And and but you know, one thing is as much as we can do and put out white papers and op-eds, you know, it really comes down to again, I, I think it was the political scientist Richard Newstead that, you know, said, you know, when talking about presidents, the power to persuade. And and certainly I, I think what Governor Reynolds has done is she she's taken her message directly to the people. And so one thing that we've been blessed is being able to work with a governor who's been uh, very conservative and who shares our, our values. And, and so it makes our job a lot easier. I mean, it, it, these are, and I don't want to say, I mean, these, Iowa has done some big things, but none of them have been easy to get through. They have been, they have been, you know, there's been battles in the legislature. And like I said, the, the tax issue, we've been working on that uh, since 2018, making improvements. ESA is probably a bit longer, but uh, it, it's because of the leadership of, of, of people like Governor Reynolds and our Senate Majority Leader uh, Whitver that have really driven these, these victories home. Yeah. I mean, I think when, I, when I'm just looking around and hearing like all the factors that you, that you said are, are kind of uh, there, they're important. Um, there has been obst- or there have been important obstacles that you've overcome. But when I see uh, the, the drive for the, uh, the drive for these reforms that have never happened before, yes, all of these things are true. But I also think there's just this this sense that things have changed, and our politicians are very sensitive to, uh, uh, to this, and that um, instead of just talking about these things, running into the roadblocks, there's this just assumption that we need to get these done now. We need to go further than we have uh, than we have before. And that wasn't the case for a long time. And that's changed. And I think that's going to play out. Um, it's playing out in Iowa. And I think it's going to play out in, in, in other states. It is. And so one thing I would add on to that is, is from a national level, and um, <clears throat> this may be controversial, but I, I think, you know, in, in 2016, uh, you know, former President Donald Trump had a, had a big impact as well, because the ideas he brought, whether you disagree or agree with what with what Trump campaigned on, really energized uh, uh, voters, as, especially Republicans and even even independents. And, and so I, I think, as I said, Iowa has moved from a, a purple state to to a solidly conservative. In fact, Democrats are in panic here because their majorities or their, their, you know, their minority status in the legislature keeps getting smaller and smaller each election cycle. And, and I think too, that, that, uh, people, people are hungry for not only leadership, but they want, they want politicians who will deliver on what they promise. And I think that's what's happening in Iowa and people have responded with that. And also the other thing is, is all the doomsday scenarios haven't come true and and people are realizing that that you know it's not the end of the world if you don't have a nine percent uh, uh individual income tax rate or a 12 percent corporate tax rate and so flat tax isn't going to turn you into kansas because you know one thing about about government spending in iowa you know even though the governor has kept it limited we haven't we haven't cut 
anything. Government has still continued to grow. And, and so you, you still have the old, uh, the same tired arguments by those on the left saying that, well, education isn't fully funded and this isn't fully funded. And, and you know, people aren't just buying those arguments anymore because, you know, as the governor said with the ESA bill, public schools are still getting more funding even with the ESA being passed. And education still compromises uh, uh, 56% of our general fund budget. So the idea that I was not fully funded in education, it, it just doesn't hold water. So what's your theory about how you can make a difference to this debate? Well, I think as, as, yeah, as an organization, I think we can, um, you know, for example, just, just on the property tax issue, we, we can make a difference by, by holding uh, not only elected officials accountable, but also by providing information. So one thing that we've launched, um, it's been about a year or so now, but we have a new project called ITR Local. And what it is, is a, it's a new project that provides uh, information to Iowans on how their cities, counties, and school districts spend. And, and so ITR Local has, has been a tremendous resource in the property tax debate because it's providing more transparency on how local governments operate. And it's really opened a lot of people's eyes about where their property tax dollars are going. And a lot of people uh, are, are looking for ways to communicate with their local officials and ITR local provides that information. And so we've been helping people. Uh, you know, we've had a number of people contact us saying, you know, can you help me prepare some questions for my city councilors or my county supervisors? And, you know, how, how can we uh, 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 challenge their need for more spending and, and, and make it known that we want property tax relief? So I think organizations like ours are, are going out there and, and basically providing information that people can use and also uh, just getting ideas out there. I mean, ideas ideas are very important. And, and so, for example, our organization, I, I think, and I, I could be wrong, but uh, the governor has a, a very good bill going through the legislature right now to reorganize state government. And what it would basically do is right now, Iowa has 37 cabinet agencies uh, in the executive branch, which is more than our neighbors, more than Illinois, Minnesota. She wants to consolidate those down to 16. I think that's a great bill. It's you know part of reigning in the administrative state. You know, our organization, I think, was the only one that had an op-ed in support of the governor's plan of doing that. And, and so we're 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 helping, you know, to to not only further the conversation of, you know, why does limited government matter? Why do these ideas matter? How can they make Iowa a better state? And I think that's what we're trying to do. John, good luck in your attempts to shift the Overton window. Thank you, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.